Deadwood Soundwell. When there's no room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. You're entering a cosmic void. Welcome to A Cosmic Void. I'm Biggs. I'm Jeremiah. And today we're going to do the original Dawn of the Dead from 1978, the George Romero classic. But before we jump into that, got a couple poll results. We asked, what is the best version of Apocalypse Now? (laughs) And nobody picked the theatrical cut, the redux cut, or the final cut. Nobody picked the assembly cut. 100% picked on TV in the 80s with commercials for the Clapper and the Flow. Damn. (laughs) So I told you, dude, a lot of people saw this on TV. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into Dawn of the Dead. So what's your history with this movie? Oh, man. My history with this movie is watching the bootleg version. By the bootleg version, I mean... uh, uh, the Zack Snyder the... cut. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about Dario so, uh, Argento's. Oh, version. that's right, because there is another cut, huh? Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into later. that. But um, no, uh, I watched uh, that. And then um, I think I had just, you know, been one of those things I talked with a friend about. And then they kind of led me to like, oh, have you seen the originals? You know, and somewhere along the line, I watched the original and I was like, oh, this is like kind of different. Honestly, I I really did like the remake, but I realized I was just a child when that came out. And like all children, they all we all like shiny things. Right. And Zack Snyder was holding up that shiny thing in my face. And then I realized it was a brat. Well, here's here's the difference I'll I'll (laughs) say between them because I do think the original one is good. Oh, like I I will stand for it. The difference is what makes a Romero zombie movie so special is the social commentary. That's Mm -hmm. always been the case of George Romero, and I've watched his movies get remade over and over again. And I'm a sucker, and I watch them over and over again, and I'm displeased over and over again. That was the one remake that I actually enjoyed. Now James Gunn wrote it, so you got to keep that in mind. So it hits these beats that if you like Pete. Maker, or if you like Suicide Squad or Guardians of the Galaxy, you're going to enjoy because James Gunn does gritty things that are kind of funny, right? Mm-hmm. And that definitely describes what Dawn of the Dead is. The only problem I have with it is like it would be a great version, except there's no message on commercialism or any of that. And I think that's what makes no, it, the original it, it, so good. It does lose sight of the commentary, which it's like, you it know, doesn't lose sight of it. It never tries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it it just it's literally just tits, guns, blood, and violence, and that well, and that's it. definitely more Zack Snyder's. Oh yeah, for sure. Realm. For that's sure. what he does, right? Did uh, pre slow mo uh, also? There's, there's no slow mo. There probably that. is. Somewhere. Nah, there's. I no, mean, I don't remember not, any not noticeably where it's I, like. You know what I think damn. it is? I think it's jarring because it was only the second zombie movie we had with fast moving zombies. Mm-hmm. So like, I think people don't remember slow mo, but I would. be be willing to bet there's slow motion it it is Zack Snyder (laughs) let's not lose sight of that (laughs) I'll be honest dude I haven't seen it since like probably 05 I know I haven't seen it in a minute I was thinking about popping it in tonight yeah I just don't want to remember the wrong thing so yeah I wasn't going to watch the other version just now but my history with Dawn of the Dead was Land of the Dead was coming out when I lived in Mm -hmm. Olympia Washington and I wanted to go see it I had seen parts of Dawn of the Dead much much like I'd probably seen parts of Night of the Living Dead, but I know for a fact that's not parts of Dawn of the Dead because the mall thing really stuck out. Like mm-hmm. I remembered parts at the mall. And then when I watched the whole thing, it was at this perfect point when my hair was at its longest. My hair was down to my ass. <laughs> and I was like constantly going to protest for the Iraq war. And then I just watched it and I was like, yeah, man, commercialism's evil, man. Cause I was smoking <laughs> pot all the time, hanging out with hippies. Uh, but I fucking love Dawn of the Dead. And it's so grim in parts but then it's so funny in parts too yeah like the motorcycle the biker scene is yeah. like hilarious yeah and also like they're literally throwing the fucking pies things. 
Yeah, that's literally throwing pies at zombies. Oh, God, the the pie thing, I I don't it's so really cop for. Yeah, <laughs> that that part, I'm like, eh. But like on the whole, it's such a great movie. And we're gonna do one more movie for this block. That's a zombie block. That I haven't seen that one at all. I have yeah. no context to that one, so I'm really excited. And we're about gonna that talk one. about that at the end of the episode. What we're gonna handle, obviously. But I think that they're three extremely formative zombie movies. And mm-hmm. so yes, the first two are Romero. The third one is not. And we will get to that because there's like a crazy source material section for this movie yeah. that I'll have to dive through. This movie, it really launched the social commentary with zombies thing. So th- there is this crazy social commentary that Romero does that he always makes it work in his movies. Whereas like some zombie movies, it's too subtle and some of them, they just don't do it at all. Especially when they're remaking Romero. It's like, well, we can't do better. So we're not even going to try, but it's almost like you're missing the best part of the movies you know yeah and it's one of the reasons why this still holds up even though it's chintzy in parts but it's also tom savini who does the makeup and that dude the legend literally the legend a legend i mean this is a guy who cut his teeth on dawn of the dead like that's where he gets famous he's done stuff before he did friday the 13th part one and four he did one of the texas chainsaw massacre movies like he did a bunch of like kind of cult horror movies and made it popular he also shows up as an actor and stuff. He's Sex Machine in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Like he's basically playing the same character. I know. I uh, that is what blew me away when I watched that movie. And then when I, because when I saw From Dust Till Dawn, which we got it, we have to cover that as well. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when I watched that movie and then I got really into like the eighties horror thing, uh, and learning about like practical effects and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, it's fucking that guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just so hilarious. Like that guy, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, like the, these three dudes are always in their and like each other's shit as themselves. And it's, it's so iconic, honestly. I don't know that Savini's and other stuff, unless I'm forgetting. I just mean like but... in those three kind of like dudes' worlds, I feel like they dip in and out you know what i mean i mean like it's right in the time period that tarantino loves which is the 70s right like savini's in this iconic horror movie so he's like i'm gonna write your character basically except for he'll have a machine gun in his crotch yeah right like tom savini is super famous for a certain subset of people it's weird he could probably walk down the street and not be bothered most days but then he's going to run into somebody like like me and then i'm gonna be like like, oh my god tom savini like holy shit shit will you sign my face <laughs> but if you're wondering why he's so famous so it is the makeup thing it is being an actor somewhat he directed that remake of night of the living dead we talked about last episode but then on top of it he started a makeup school and he has taught so many people that have gone into horror movies like how to do this kind of makeup this is a dude who has a tree and that tree has sprouted many many branches and he's probably got decades of doing that still because yeah he's, he's the, not he's literally the person. godfather of of like practical effects and like special effects and shit like that. I man, say. I'd almost say Rick Baker. I would like, say both of them though, man. Like they're yeah, right, they're, they're super, fucking right there. Like man. I think when you talk about makeup applications for like horror movies and sci- science fiction movies, oh man, it's like Rick Baker and Tom Savini and Rob Botton are yeah. like your three legged table right there. They are the three legs. So right. we've talked about movies with at least two of them. I don't think we've done Rick Baker yet, but it's a fuck matter of time because Rick mm-hmm. Baker is just like prolific as well and he was the first one to do it he was the pioneer like before they were just doing stuff with literal makeup and Rick Baker was the one who's just like no I'm going to completely transform bodies right? right and Tom Savini what he really brings to it is there's just this Brady violence to the stuff that he did he was in Vietnam like he was supposed to do Night of the Living Dead and do the makeup for that because he was a friend of Romero's couldn't make it because he got drafted to Vietnam. <laughs> like you said, and he could have made it. He literally... <laughs> he literally could not literally make was- it. Yeah, And he was a combat photographer and the violence really affected him. And he decided to apply that to his makeup. So everything becomes... Man, imagine a world where Tom Zavini is fucking uh, uh, the dude from Apocalypse Now. (laughs) He's in the fucking Colonel Kurtz? (laughs) Not Kurtz. uh, uh, The main guy. um, Oh, uh, Sheen's character? Yeah, Sheen's character. He's just sitting in a fucking room with his camera naked, drinking. (laughs) Just fucking... (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But he's definitely got his goatee, right? It seems yeah. like every picture he's got the same goatee his entire life. Thanks. Anyway, let's get into the movie. All right. Two people from the SWAT team and two from the news take a helicopter to escape the hellscape that is Philadelphia society breaks down due to the ever-growing zombie population. They take refuge in a mall, but it won't last forever. You're entering the void. The United States is devastated by a mysterious phenomenon that reanimates recently dead human beings as flesh-eating zombies. Three weeks into the crisis, it has been reported that millions of people have died and reanimated despite the government's best efforts. Social order is collapsing. Rural communities and the National Guard have been effective in fighting the zombie hordes in open country, but urban centers descend into chaos. At WGON-TV, a television studio in Philadelphia... Traffic reporter Stephen Andrews and his pregnant girlfriend, producer Fran Parker, are planning to steal the station's helicopter to escape the city across town. It's really interesting because we open up at the news station, and I would heavily suggest if you're just dipping in to hear about this movie, that you go back and listen to our Night of Living Dead episode, which was last episode, because I do think there's a lot of continuation and themes and plot mm -hmm. that matter. Well, the rural area thing, too, where they, yes. they explain, like, if you don't have that explanation, then you're like, oh, well, then why the fuck is the zombie thing still happening? Because it, at the end of Night of the Living Dead, it does look like they're winning. But at the same point, you know, they, they are in rural areas. It's like, literally where we live, bro, like, if something like this hit Helena, I bet Helena would be kind of fucked. But all the surrounding areas, I mean, it's so much open land and pretty much everyone, I own like five guns myself. I'm pretty sure like everyone here is pretty gun friendly and like, I'm pretty sure we would be fine honestly <laughs> no no way yeah yeah, the Californians would, would be fresh prey. Just kidding. <laughs> let's pretend like the zombie apocalypse happens. Uh -huh. You're going to get a lot of people with guns accidentally shooting each other, going after each other's guns. Order will break down because as soon as you start to see the dead rolling through town, people are going to flip out. You're going to see whole grocery stores empty out. Then you're going to get people trying to jack them for the stuff. Like we saw a very minor version of this with the pandemic. Oh, right? yeah. Like toilet paper. People fucking panicked and you couldn't find toilet yeah, I don't paper know if I ever, anywhere for I don't know if I ever talked about uh, my experience working at a grocery store during the beginning of the pandemic, but uh, people would literally just walk in the back and be like grabbing stuff and I'm like... You can't Jesus. fucking be back here, dude. Like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're just trying to fucking... St I know you're trying to buy shit, but it's like, you can't fucking be back here. Like, the audacity of people. And a minor... Well, I guess not minor, but like, I mean... So the day that I effectively lost my job we went to winco because i was just like i gotta stock up because i'm not gonna have much money like i remember unemployment this was before they upped unemployment so i was just like we're not gonna have much so i need to like stock the freezer with very cheap big cuts of meat and things like that so that i have it for a while so i go to winco and i get there about five o'clock and it's right on the back of all the state workers getting out and i could feel the wave of people coming behind me because everybody was flipping out at that moment it was right after montana shut down everything unless you were either basically shopping or going to work you had to be indoors or you could exercise i think and that was about it and as i was getting in line every single line was just full like halfway down the aisles and there was this screaming and i'm like what the hell and i like look over and this dude just keeps screaming and screaming and then he screams all the way out the door while he's being escorted out so then they push his shopping carts he got two shopping carts and filled them both with toilet paper and they had a thing that said limit one and he tried to buy two entire carts filled like filled like feet beyond the top of the cart with toilet paper what an asshole that's my point is there is no place that's safe from a giant emergency there's places that might be a little bit better than others but you see the zombie apocalypse we're fucking cut off from like every goddamn source like what do we make for ourselves in montana bread. for example okay bread so <laughs> what are you gonna fucking knock over the bread stores uh, bread uh 
Um, a lot of our bread comes from out of town too. Like we got wheat Montana. You're going to go all the way to Belgrade to get your stuff. Uh, like what if gasoline starts to get in a shortage? Fuck. What do we make, dude? Guns? Fucking nothing, we dude. We don't make anything. <laughs> we don't even make guns. We get them from other places. Like we just have them everywhere. Right. Actually, Montana is one of the only places where you don't need a tax stamp to make a gun here. That's the only way. I believe you. But my point is like we are interconnected with oh, everybody yeah. else, even though quite frankly, the residents don't want to see it that way here. Oh, they yeah. think like No, we would be fucked, I think. Yeah, we have this mentality here, as I'm guessing they do in most, not just red states, but any county that that's No, we're literally, red. we're literally hippie Texas. That's how I've always viewed this. We're literally like liberal Texas, more on the Texas side than on the liberal side, but... Yeah, we're not very <laughs> liberal here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're in the most liberal spot in Montana. It's not very liberal. That's what I'm saying. But... um. <laughs> My point is everything is interconnected and we've created a society that way because we can get goods cheaper. We can work less and we see the benefits of that. But when society breaks down, you don't have those things coming in, which is exactly what we see in this movie. So I know that's a long way to get there, but Mm -hmm. they're dealing with this at the news station. And this is our first hints of commercialism that's kind of coming in. They're debating the cause of this right on the news. And the news manager is pissed off because he wants the list of safe stations up on there at all times and the lady who's in charge of it who's going to be one of our protagonists is like no like half those stations have been abandoned like you're just telling people to go to their death and he's like every second we don't have on there we're losing ratings which is insane because you're in this emergency situation the tv broadcast should be there to help out people right yeah so what the fuck does but it even he matter? just cares about the ratings like it still comes down to money that's ultimately what matters to him there's like this yard stick he's got to hit and if they're not hitting it then they're failing this is like the opposite viewpoint that we saw in night of the living dead right like i talked about the criticism of the media and that and just how whenever they're saying something you know everybody's tuned into the radio trying to get some sort of help and then they're watching the tv trying to get help but everything that they hear they already know at some point or they're just hearing people not give answers right now you cut to the news perspective and the people at the top they only care about ratings they don't care about this other stuff. They want the money to keep rolling in. But society is going to break down. It's going to break down quicker because they're putting up these save zones that don't exist. It's not helpful at all. And it's definitely a continuation of that criticism of the media that we're seeing there. Crosstown police SWAT officer Roger DeMarco and his team raid a low-income housing project whose mostly black and Latino tenants are defying the martial law of delivering their dead to the National Guard. The tenants and the officers exchange gunfire as the officer tried to gain entry, Roger unsuccessfully tries to restrain Wooly, a brutal and racist trooper, after he manically kills several unarmed civilians. Wooly is shot dead by an officer from another unit, Peter Washington. As the SWAT team dispatch the reanimated dead that have injured or killed several tenants, uh, Roger forms an alliance with Peter, suggesting they desert and join up with Stefan, who is a friend. When they're going through this project, we set up right away that Romero, however he felt about whether he was actually trying to put in a racial theme into the first movie, which I believe he was. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he said he didn't. And I thought it was important. Oh, just like how he did it in this one. But I think we (laughs) laid out all of the evidence in that one. And this one, he's clearly putting out the message. And he has said he, you know, he doesn't shirk away from it. He went to the projects, bro. (laughs) He went to the projects. It's like a lot of Puerto Ricans that are running around and you've got this guy on the SWAT team who's just immediately ready to go and blow them all away, right? Like he's saying, like, they're doing better than I am. Like, this is Weird how that concept has always been a thing. Cops murdering, I don't know, brown people. (laughs) Not trying to tell everybody, especially, like, sitting across from a brown person, but, like, (laughs) the police department was founded on white supremacy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is unfortunately (laughs) nothing new, right? (laughs) And, yeah, I had a moment when I was watching that and was like, oh, yeah, shit doesn't really change change sometimes it just takes a slightly different form new face yeah yeah. and so he's ready to go in there and blow away people which is exactly what he does right like Mm -hmm. the most famous sequence is not a zombie dying from his head being blown up blowing people away yeah it's a puerto rican dude just having his head explode because he comes down there and just like takes a shotgun and just boom like his head goes up like a pinata you know Mm -hmm. i love the scene it's one of my favorites in the movie when they go into that room and it's just filled with zombies that 
they're just sitting in the corners and stuff and they're just mowing down on people. Like they're just eating all these scraps and they don't even care that people are in there because they're already eating. It's just so fucking gross, dude. In 1978, nothing has ever been oh, like yeah. this. Oh, yeah. This screen. is where Romero really gets to it. I feel like this, like, you know, uh, the first Night of the Living Dead uh, makes the groundwork. This is uh, the fruit of his labor. You know what I mean? Like, this is like literally him unleashing his potential with what he wanted to do and I mean, just having all of those zombies and the people and the makeup, it's its so fucking awesome, dude. It's like, you know, e- even when I did watch the original after liking the remake, I still was kind of partial to the remake because, you know, shiny shit. Ah, I'm a child. Shiny shit, you know, in my face. And you I'm can like, like ah, what you want to like. Shiny okay. shit. Yeah, but I mean, like, to look the the original and see what they did for that time period, breathtaking, dude. It, it is mind-blowing what that meant for the time, too, you know, Especially laying more groundwork. The first one influenced a lot of shit too. But this one I feel really influenced a lot of shit with what would become zombie movies, zombie games. Even just survival stories of like, we got holed out in a fucking bunker. Like, this is the end would not exist without this movie. Because, I mean, that's the same kind of story, man. I feel like this story laid such a, a groundwork for that kind of, you know, thing. Well, the survivalist story is one that you see throughout Hollywood for a long time. But yeah, it adds a dimension to it that didn't really exist before. Like the hyper-violent survival story, I feel like. People fighting each other for fucking scraps. Right. Literally decimating neighborhoods. Like a thing from another world, right? That is a survival story. It's like a couple of guys in Antarctica Mm -hmm. who are trying to survive this Frankenstein carrot, basically. But I mean, like like the whole, uh, we got to hold out in this bunker right. for as it's, long as we but can. It's not, right. It's not to the degree that this is. This sets a new bar. It took that bar that we talked about with Night of the Living Dead, how bloody it was and just how, like, nothing could compare to it before 1968, right? And it just, like, resets the bar mm-hmm. very, very high. And so you have to get pretty fucking bloody to top this one because it's a two-hour and 12-minute movie. There's people getting ripped apart in a good, I'm going to say, hour and a half of it, you know? <laughs> like there's a lot of blood in this movie and so it absolutely reset the and bar didn't for it, everybody. Uh, get an x rating because of how bloody it, it was. sure did they had to go unrated for it yeah yeah an elderly priest tells them that several zombies are confined in the basement to go there and take on the grim job of eliminating all of them later that night roger and peter join fran and stefan at a police dock and then leave philadelphia in the helicopter following some close calls while stopping for fuel the group comes across a shopping mall and decides to remain there since there is plenty of food, medicine, and all kinds of consumables. Peter and Stefan camouflage the entrance to their stairwell which leads to their sanctuary. They're going to refuel the helicopter because they can only get so much fuel when they go to take off, right? And so they land in this spot and they're seeing in the countryside you see zombies everywhere and they give the impression there's nowhere you can really run. That's what you start to realize is like it's overrunning the city but then you see the country and they're like it's overrunning that too you see the rednecks are having fun and they're like shooting at stuff and just having a great time but you know that's not going to last forever either when you see the massive amounts of zombies from the air that are walking everywhere that ammo is going to run out eventually right like that's the constant problem in like say the walking dead like you only have resources for so long and, and even you- people will be like oh you could fucking gunsmith your fucking bullets one time you get to do that one or two times you get to reuse bullets to reload because once that shell cracks you're literally fucked and i mean i would rather risk not having bullets than having something blow up in my hand so it's like shit is finite the shit like the walking dead i really i love the comics yeah. But I, I, I feel like that show is like I love the hyper comics unrealistic. The story at first. But let's be honest, zombies yeah. are unrealistic. Yeah, they for they sure. just are. For All sure. you guys who are like excited for zombies to take over, you're a little nuts. You were talking about the recasing the shells. Mm-hmm. Fucking okay, so you're doing that. How long does that fucking take? How, How many zombies are like banging on your door? And that while too, you're it's like to so that. you need to get gunpowder, you need to get shells, and it's like when you need to have that shit. And then you need to properly, you know, 
You can only put a, a certain amount of powder. Do you know how to do that shit? I don't know how to fucking do that shit. Yeah. I love guns. Like, so, I mean, everything is finite in reality. And it's like, yeah, those rednecks are having fun. They might know how to reload some powder, but it's like, it's you only know, that, last sh- for that so shit is only going to last we for so long. We saw how much dead were coming. It's yeah. only going to last for so long. And like they said on the news report with one of the people, every time they attack somebody, they get another zombie so their numbers are just increasing and the humans are just shrinking i think that's what made the game of thrones the white walkers that that means that's so fucking devastating because they show it where it's like all these people died and then homeboy raises his arms and now they're all on his side and it's like devastating to watch that not just them come back alive from being bitten but to watch that watch them fall off a cliff and then just like pop back up oh my god by the way did you ever see when they set that clip where he raised his hands and all that like that entire scene where they're raising the town did you see that set the thriller oh somebody (laughs) did that like the day after that episode aired and i fucking watching an embarrassing amount my uh my favorite thing with thriller i've ever seen it's thriller but uh, they just take the music out. So it's literally just him harassing a woman on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> just like following and following her. And it's like they edit the voice. It's like, I'm going to get you, bitch. And he's just like fucking chasing this chick around. And it's, it's so just fucking horrible. some horror music. Right? <laughs> yeah. Directed by John Landis, <laughs> who we've talked about a few times on this show from American Werewolf in London. But we still got more to talk about here. I'm sorry. We barely scratched the surface. So they go to a refueling station. And zombies are coming up to him while they're trying to refuel and once again hardly any fuel there all the crop dusting planes they figure probably they filled it up to go somewhere where are they going somewhere where it's not going to help that's the thing about one of these situations is everybody panics and there's no good solution they just figure wherever we're at somewhere else is better right good luck the whole world is that way but we see zombies come in one of the SWAT members is going to get a snack and then all of a sudden two kids zombies come running up which that's the one moment like of inconsistency where it's like they literally literally run towards him and they can't really run in this movie except for that one occasion now you're living dead they kind of run and then they don't it's a little inconsistent mm-hmm. right but they go and run up and it really looks like they take a chunk out of his arm but they don't and so he has to like kill both of them and then steven comes up with a pistol and there's a zombie coming up towards the swap member and so he fires and kills it but it's like right next to him and he has to take cover so he's pissed off points a gun at him and threatens him and then he's like see you never point a gun at somebody it's like trying to make the point be responsible be careful with your firearm and then on top of all of this you nearly lose all four members while they're sitting there trying to get in the helicopter so they get to the mall when they drop into it they realize there's the back area have you ever been to the back area of the mall where like they have all the private stuff i would assume it's probably like walmart's back area or it's just all like i've never been to walmart's back area just huge open spaces. Yeah, it's like narrow corridors. Like, it looks exactly like they show in this movie because it was filmed at a mall. But that's exactly what malls are set up like. They're in this area, and then they realize there's all these resources there, right? Like, there's a department store, which they immediately go crazy for. They figure out they can, the zombies are kind of spread out throughout the mall. So they can go to this department store. They all gather up at the window, which they, like, shut. And then they, like, just shop, and they're having a great time. Steven Stu. Stupidly want everything Steven does is awful in this movie. Like he goes wandering out to him, nearly gets himself killed like multiple times because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And they wind up getting him, although he has all these zombies come and they're like, we can't have them follow us back to our spot. So they had to lose them in the mall. Eventually they do and they go back up, but they're like very excited about it, right? I think Robert is that is that one of the SWAT team's members name? Maybe it's Roger. No, I think it's Roger. Roger is very excited and telling Francie how perfect it is there and she's telling them it's a prison we should get out of here we should get what we need and go but they don't want to go because they have everything not just like but they're not thinking survival wise they're just like there's everything like you see the way their eyes light up when they see the department store no rules everything is 
doors open. Wow, I can. I always wanted that seven thousand dollar golf set, and fucking. I mean, like everything is there. No, they are the fucking police. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's an interesting commentary too. Is you know they're supposed to be the ones holding people out of that area and making it a safe zone. Yet they're the ones taking advantage of that area. Oh, and look at the and, other two. They're the ones that are supposed to be reporting and helping people yeah. out on the TV, and they stole the helicopter. Yep. That definitely could have been used for better purposes. They're all kind of awful when you really think about mm-hmm. it. They go in there. I think Francine is not feeling well, right? Is that in? Yeah, she's starting to get sick. And like. Uh, but it's because she's pregnant. Yeah. Well, is it because she's pregnant or is it because, you know, I feel like. It's because she's pregnant. Oh, for sure. But like, you know, <laughs> you know zombie stuff. Uh, right. You got to. Okay. But once again, put your head into this space. That's not a trope yet. Oh, shoot. Huh? Night of the Living Dead, it happens once. Somebody gets bit, but they even infer oh, that so like, they n- die from the infection and then they become the dead, right? So it wasn't like an airborne thing yet? Because that's what I would have. We don't know what caused it. Like in Night of the Living Dead, if you go by that, they think it's radiation from a probe that came back from Venus. But they don't know. They just don't know. And in this one, they don't even address it. But it is a continuation of Night of the Living Dead. So I think you can assume it is that, but it doesn't really matter. My point is this whole thing about disease going back and forth, not a trope yet. Even in this movie, it's not a disease thing, right? I think they're holding to the thing of like, the bite will kill you. And then you'll become the living dead. We haven't gotten to it's a virus yet. It's not a virus right now. I just think like that's important to remember because sometimes we talk about like the rules of these things as if like they always existed that way, but they didn't. Like we're building the zombie mythos as we go Mm -hmm. along with these movies, right? There's one that we're not going to cover in this block because we can only do three. But a damn you new Batman movie that's I guarantee we will at some point, which is 28 <laughs> days later. We've talked about oh, it a little bit. Yeah. That really, really leans into the idea that the zombies. I think we should just give do a virus. We should just do a whole block of that dude's movies because I would love to do Sunshine, 28 Days Later, and uh, Ex Machina. I would love to. I love those movies. Which dude are you talking about? That's the dude who did all those movies. No, Danny Boyle did 28 Days Later. I thought Danny Boyle also did uh, Sunshine. I don't know, but I'll tell you what he didn't do. Ex Machina. That's Alex Garland. I think uh, Danny Boyle helped produce uh, Sunshine. Maybe that's where I'm getting it mixed up. Yeah. Because it is Alex Garland for sure. Regardless, Danny Boyle directed 28 Days Later. Damn, that sucks we can't do that. That would be such a good one to top off the fucking we could cut a dc one if you want to oh man that's so hard oh, fuck. we'll figure it out we'll figure out how to crunch it in maybe we'll do a patreon or something we can come back we could probably do another tour of zombie movies right. maybe next year oh or, yeah or halloween or something yeah for sure we're ongoing we'll figure we'll figure we it are out. on episode 54 it's not as right. if we haven't done a lot of movies already right uh, they block the mall entrances with trucks and keep the undead from penetrating. This involves driving through crowds of zombies who are indifferent to their own injuries and attempt to enter the trucks. Roger survives a particularly dangerous encounter and becomes reckless as a result. He is soon bitten by the zombies. So something right before that happened that I was trying to get to and I forgot. So Francine... She is pregnant, as we were starting to talk about. They go in the other room, and the men are talking about it. And he says, what's up with her? And and Stephen says, she's pregnant. And he says, does she want to take care of it? And he says, no. And they're making decisions for her while she's right in the other room. And then so she parrots it back to Stephen, like clearly pissed off that he's making decisions for her body. There is a feminist thing that runs through this, which was not initially there. That happened because that actress just straight up said no to certain things. And then Romero heard it and then started to like shift things a little bit, right? Like earlier, she's watching as he's wrestling a zombie and there's a zombie coming up behind her and she's supposed to scream and like go into panic. And the actress said, no, I'm not going to do that. Like that's very sexist. And so Romero said, okay, she could have come up with something better to 
it. You know what I mean? Because she's just staring at it, doesn't do anything. But she refused to go into like the hysterical fits you would typically have a woman, as we pointed out in the last episode, or many, many episodes of the show, we pointed that out. So this is them making the conceited effort to be like, no, this is fucked up. The men get to decide what happens with this pregnancy. Like, that's not right. Like, we had Roe versus Wade about five years earlier, but let's go a little bit further. At this point, I think they had just gotten to the point where women could finally get birth control on their own. Before that, they could only get it if they were married, and they could only get it if their husband wrote them a note as if they were a child. Damn. Wrong. That's a true story, dude. And so this thing with, like, women's body and not having agency over it, we're still seeing elements of this in Texas right now, and I suspect we're going to see it a lot more in the United States. It has not gone away, but they're directly addressing that, and I think that's an important thing to talk about because it's one little scene in this movie, but it's a very important scene, I think. It's one of the reasons why this movie resonates with more than just, like, cis white males, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's talking about a lot of different things to a lot of different groups. It's trying to talk about all of society. Now, when they're going and doing the trucks, Roger's starting to lose it, right? Like, this is another thing that definitely this movie, Night of the Living Dead, makes it a trope. Is that, like, somebody's going to fucking crack up. I guess it's kind of in war movies, right? Somebody's always going to crack up and then, like, put the entire body of people in trouble because they can't hold their shit together. And he's just getting way too daring and he winds up taking a bite on the leg. And you know he's fucked right there. (laughs) You know, like, he's fooling himself into thinking he's going to be fine. His team member is, like, tells Stephen... I've never seen somebody survive more than three days after one of these bites. So they're definitely watching him at this point. Wow, that's a long time compared to like what it becomes. Right. Once again, it's like minutes now. It's like minutes, if that. Yeah. Once again, they're setting the trope, right? And then other people take it and it changes as it goes. But this is what sets that trope, right? Like Mm -hmm. you get bit, you're going to turn into a zombie. They just do it a little bit differently. We still have fire in this one, right? Like we see at Night of the Living Dead, fire plays a very big part. The zombies don't like fire. We see it once in this one. They have a little propane torch and then it makes the zombies back up a bit so they can go in the department store. But that's it. They don't really play with fire too much, probably because like they're in a mall. <laughs> that they don't own. True. I mean, like, for the production, they don't own this mall. So they probably can't just light everything on fire in the mall. Right. That would be crazy. George Romero accidentally sets fire to <laughs> the Northgate Mall. <laughs> All right. After clearing the mall's interior of zombies, the four enjoy a hedonistic lifestyle with all the goods available to them. Furnishing their makeshift apartment with the mall's many commodities, Roger eventually succumbs to his wounds and dies. When he reanimates as a zombie, Peter shoots the reanimated corpse in the head, killing it. Sometime later, all emergency broadcast transmissions cease, suggesting that the government has officially collapsed. Now isolated, the three load some supplies into the helicopter in case they might need to leave suddenly. Fran gets Steven to teach her how to fly in case he should be killed or incapacitated. Another thing I really like with the the feminist bent of this movie is she's kind of helpless at the beginning and like she's not allowed to go on the missions with them but they don't want Steven going on the missions right away either because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing he gets him into trouble he's just a helicopter pilot so he teaches her how to fly the helicopter even though he doesn't want to he clearly doesn't want to but he teaches her and then meanwhile they teach her how to use guns you can be inferred because she starts using a sniper rifle what time is this that this movie comes out 1978. When does Alien come out? Uh, 79. 79? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Because this might be that that big swing where it's now the female's turn, you know, I feel. Because that's such an Alien movie, Is it even still the female's turn, though? Like, no. Do you know what I mean, though? I, I know what you mean where you suddenly start putting female protagonists into things. But, like, even an alien, she's just the one that's alive. It's aliens that actually puts her as a, the protagonist for the whole movie. these guns. <laughs> she's like a final girl in Alien, True. basically. Uh, like, all the feminist things that they, like, keep on the movie, they're not so much present in the first Alien. It's James Cameron's Aliens, you know, that he wrote with Catherine Bigelow, which probably had a big part of that. Was like, there was a woman actually right. helping Shut they're sitting in their like tower basically like they're in their own private room they got it all decked out they're somewhat removed from the crisis but things just keep creeping in right roger's dying that's not going over so well like that's creeping in a little bit 
I think Steven asked Francine to marry her, and she's like, no, like, it wouldn't be real here. She wants to leave the mall and, and find, like, a civilized place, real which, like, love. honestly, she's <laughs> not going to find. Like, it's society's breaking down. Yeah, Hawaii, man. And we, see that, and we see that with the TV. We fucking see it where, like, Steven wants the TV on, and she flips it off, and he turns it back on. He wants to just hole up in this mall and see things, but, like, to her, it's just a reminder that shit's breaking down. She doesn't like it. A nomadic biker gang sees the helicopter in flight and breaks into the mall, destroying the barriers and allowing hundreds of zombies back in. Steven, overwhelmed by territorial rage, fires on them, beginning a protracted battle. Steven gets shot and mauled. When he reanimates, he instinctively returns to the sanctuary and leads the undead to Fran and Peter. Peter kills Steven, while Francine escapes to the roof. Peter locks himself in a room, contemplates suicide, but when the zombies burst in, he has a change of heart and fights his way up to the roof, where he joins Francine. The two of them then fly away in a helicopter to an uncertain future, leaving the now abandoned mall to be overrun by the zombie. It's already or, been overrun. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not to be overrun. Bad job, Wikipedia. Yeah. How um, dare you? <laughs> yeah. So they're hearing the motorcycle gang is trying to talk to them on the CB because they saw the helicopter as Francine's learning to pilot it. And so they know that there's people in there. So they're trying to contact them. And they're See, this is why we shouldn't let women do things. If they would have never did that, then I'm just kidding. Kidding. Joking. Please well, it's even Peter mentions it earlier in the movie. He says having the helicopter on the roof is going to attract attention. That's why they barricade the parking lot, right? It's not a zombie thing. It's a person thing. They're worried about people. This getting is what mall. fucking zombie shit loses sight of so fucking hard what makes a great zombie story it's not the fucking zombies it's not being holed up in a fucking mall it's the interaction with where you are mentally and with other people that is what truly makes a good zombie story to me that's why i do have a hard time being like fuck the walking dead because I like the idea of it's not the, the zombies are a part of the landscape. Now that's they're cows and wolves. Now, you know, they're a part of society. Now, now it's how do you maneuver yourself through this landscape? And I think that's why I like shit like this. That's why when you lose that part of like, that's why, that's why looking back, watching the Dawn of the dead remake, it doesn't hit as hard as this because this has that social commentary. It has the people. It's not the zombies that fuck. The zombies are easy to maneuver around. If you're fucking smart and not fucking around, obviously you could survive for a time if you have the right, you know, setup. But it's the people that do not allow that to happen. All right. Let me ask you a question. In a nutshell, what do you think this movie is about? I mean, now that we've had a conversation about it, I would say... If you look at it like these people are supposed to be the people that are cops, right? Cops and these reporters are supposed to guide people and help them feel safe, right? But like we said earlier, they're they're falling in their hedonistic ways. They're they're literally yeah. a that's it. That's it right there. You're hitting it right there. Yeah. There's a lot of themes going through it, but the main one is things. It's yes. commercialism. Yeah. They get caught up in like we have these things. Like we talked about it this earlier. It doesn't with even toilet matter. paper, yeah. with fucking like None of that we just talked matters. about this. But it's yeah. like hoarding resources, right? It's like commercialism at any cost, no matter who it hurts. Because in the reality, they they could have filled up the helicopter there somehow. I feel like there they has did. to be. They did fill up right. the helicopter. Even they run it get off. supplies. They get weapons. There's so much shit that the resources that they could grab. And other people and could use dip. that shit too. And are they helping out other people? No. The four of them own the mall now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like how, how are they supposed to be any better than the bikers? Exactly. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And the bikers are terrible and too. That, but that is masterful storytelling. Now, what's The Walking opinion. Dead about? Oh, man. <sighs> this is what breaks my heart because I'm not talking about the comics when I say this because I think the comics are slightly different. Oh, They're very, a lot different. Very like, different. We, we already yeah. alluded to that. And we don't need to get into what the comics are. But what's the TV show about? To me, it's about isolationism. How many times do they use the term my people? 
right? Like that's your people. This is my people. It is very much a tribalism thing. Like we're in the right. Like there's all these other people. Milkshake. Yeah. There's like (laughs) other people are trying to intrude in and like the people are the biggest threat in The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. It starts out as the zombies, but it winds up being the people. That's what I kind of don't like about The Walking Dead is I felt like in the comics, they're trying to rebuild society. And I felt like in the show, they're more trying to destroy other sections of society. See, in, in my opinion, the comics are more about the, the psychology of how do you mentally survive losing everyone you love, trying to rebuild, failing, trying to rebuild again, being forcefully removed as a leader. How do you navigate that mentally? Whereas in the TV show, it is like exactly what you said. It's like, yeah. Bad guy. I don't know why it's different for a TV show when you have Robert Kirkman at the top, but it is. Man. Like, it feels very much like how a lot of people here are, honestly. Just like, no, fuck you people. Like, we're better. Right? Like, I, I hate that shit, man. It's like losing sight of humanity. And I think that's what Dawn of the Dead does really good is like our protagonists are not good people necessarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can probably give a pass to but you're supposed scene, to. But. You're supp- And I think that that's why it's so important to have that break right in the beginning with Wooly shooting black people and shit because you're supposed to be like comforted by the fact, oh, these are fucking cops. They're going to help people. But because you see that happen, you're like, Oh, fuck. Yeah, they're in a project. They know they're in a project. So it's like, let's just start killing minorities. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter at this point, right? They're just fucking animals, right? That's like exactly how they're fucking looking at it. It takes you away from the, the veil that is over your eyes, which is telling you cops are good. Cops are there to help you. Everything's going to be fine because the police are here. The news people are going to tell us exactly where to go. Everything's going to be fine. And that's just like a a fake thin veil over your face. And the moment you see that dude murdering people and then them being like, I don't think we should tell people that there's no one there. You know, once you take that veil off, you're like, oh, everyone's fucked. And then you start going further with a story where it's like, oh, these people are just taking advantage of a situation and not even allowing other people to come to this hub that they made. And let's be real here because we want to look at the motorcycle gang as inherently evil. Right, but mm-hmm. they got Tom Savini, so how could they? Be? Yeah, right. Right. How could like, they be? you want to starve out Tom Savini? No. Right. Here's the thing. And they if had they had said on the radio, <laughs> "All right, if you guys can stay calm, you can share the mall with us." They probably would have, because like, look at this fucking treasure trove, and they don't have to open fire on anybody, and they can just come right in. But no, we see their worst face forward because they're refusing to even answer them. So they know, like, okay, they blocked it off. They're blocking off people. So fuck it, we're gonna take this. Like, of course, they just set up imagine this if they would have set up a sign or like just something that's like, hey, we're here. Knock three times and say whoop de doo and we'll. But let that's you not in. the aim. The yeah. aim is not to help other people. It was never that for them. It's just, just like look at we everything have we have. This yeah. is ours, and yep. that is yours. To them, they found paradise. Right. You know, even if it's starting to kind of mold around the edges and they're getting bored. And they don't want to let people in to help protect paradise. They want to hold off everyone from getting to their paradise. Really? That's a good way of putting that. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) It is a bit of a paradise lost situation. Yeah, absolutely. So the biker gang gets in and then Steven, once again, everything Steven does is wrong. He Mm -hmm. sees them running through the mall and the common wisdom is like, just let them go and raid the shit and leave because they'll fucking leave like how much can they carry in a motorcycle right like they'll Nothing. just leave because they're letting the zombies in so they're they clearly haven't thought this out on how to section off the mall so they would have gone throwing but pies no. and shit i mean well that happens later on. but like steven goes and takes a shot at one of them and then it's fucking on all of a sudden there's this giant firefight because he says it's our mall we were the ones that grabbed it it's ours like dude Stop fucking up, man. All you had to do was hide. They, like, built that false wall, right? And then as a zombie, he fucking tears down the false wall that they built. He fucks it up in death. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. totally fucks them. And then when they get to the top, Peter basically wants to kill himself. And they don't expressly say it, but I think it's because for him, the idea of leaving this place, like, it's just going to get worse from here. We're giving up all of these things. That was it for them. Yeah. And it's like, 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 we, we had paradise here now it's gone i don't want to keep on going so she gets in the helicopter and then he decides no you know what i do want to go and there's a little gag here 
that like my wife, I wasn't sure how much she was enjoying the movie. It turned out she really enjoyed the movie. But while I was watching it with Amanda, there was this part where (laughs) when they're trying to shut off the department store door, this guy grabs his gun and he's like, just let the gun go. It doesn't matter. Like, we'll get another one. Like, it'll be fine. Let it go. It's not worth like getting torn apart. So they do. And it's just holding the gun. Right. So that zombie comes back. And as Peter's running to the helicopter, all of a sudden it snags his gun. And he looks over at it and then grabs the gun that got earlier from him as it just like walks off the gun. My wife fucking lost it. She was laughing so hard. And that scene almost passed me by. But Mm -hmm. she laughed. So I suddenly like paid closer attention to that part of the frame. And I was like, oh, that's fucking clever. I just like there's a lot of jokes in this. A lot of them don't hit. That one fucking hit for me. But yeah, you get this pie fight in the middle of the mall with the bikers. And that's pretty ridiculous. What's crazy is this was an actual motorcycle gang that went through there when they filmed. This. Oh, really? They also had some people that were working on the, the set fill out the motorbike gang. So, like, they bring in Tom Savini. He looks like the leader, right? <laughs> like, he's playing a guy named Blades. He's fucking got the machete, so he's hitting the zombies with the machete. That's another trope you're going to see now, right? Because from then on, it's, like, all about swords and blades and axes and all no, these. No, not even that. Specifically machetes. That, like, becomes a specific zombie. That's thing. what I'm saying, though. Like, this sets up that trope. Yeah. Because before, it was you either shoot the zombie in the head or you just beat it over the head until it dies. But now you're putting in creative ways As to fucking kill Headshots. It. Sharp objects, fucking fire, malls, fire. That was it. Blunt objects, fire, and like shooting it. Not even sharp objects, dude. This like opened it up to everything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's get into the themes. Consumerism is ultimately destructive. The boss at the news station wants there to be a constant list where the safe zones are, even though it hasn't been updated and will cause people flocking there to be killed. He wants it because the ratings dip when it's not posted. A member of the SWAT team is anxious to kill minorities at a project because they have it better than he does. They arrive at the mall and see the zombies are flocking there to repeat what they did in life. We forgot to talk about that, but yeah, that's the theory is the zombies are redoing what they what they were used to, right? When the group decides to settle in the mall, it's because they're delighted with an opportunity to go shopping in a department store. Francine yells at them and says it's not a sanctuary, it's a prison. She tells them to take what they need and move on. Instead, they hunker down. The upper apartment was atoned with nothing but boxes. Soon it's decked out with furniture and trinkets. They empty cash from registers, even though they can't spend it. Stephen proposes to Francine, but she refuses because she wants to leave. They become bored and listless, even though they're surrounded by material items. Roger is bitten as they block off the entrance to protect their mall from other people. The motorcycle gang invades when they won't share the mall. The zombies flood the gang. Eventually, there's a firefight because Stephen feels the mall belongs to them. The gang is killed by them or taken out by zombies they lost track of because they were gleefully pillaging items. Francine starts a helicopter, but Peter refuses to follow because he doesn't want to give it up. Finally, he snaps out of it and fights his way to the helicopter. As they leave everything behind, they become more hopeful. They leave their material possessions behind, and they're happier for it. So commercialism is destructive is the message of this movie, I think, the main one. Uh, So the movie behind the movie. So George Romero held off doing a sequel to Night of the Living Dead because he didn't want to be known as just a horror director. He managed There's Always Vanilla as well as some TV sports documentaries and TV movies, but mostly he made offbeat horror like Martin or The Crazies. Romero went to see a friend who was managing a mall in Monroe, Pennsylvania. When he was shown the hidden areas, his friend said it would be easy to survive an emergency there. He also noted how happy the shoppers were. Romero decided it would be the perfect location for a sequel. Romero produced with Richard Rubenstein, but couldn't find any more domestic producers. Dario Argento was a big fan of the first movie and stepped in with the rest of the money. Argento consulted with Romero while he was writing the script. Argento would edit the movie for the European market, use the band Goblin for the soundtrack, and call it Zombie, which is zombie with an I, not an I-E. Romero did the American edit. They had to film in the mall from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. when it was closed. They took a three-week break during Christmas season because it was too much work taking down the decorations and putting them back up. Dude, three weeks is all they had to deal with that. (laughs) How long is it now, man? Like seven weeks? Yeah, months. That's that's accurate. The written ending was that Peter killed himself and Francine killed herself by sticking her head in the helicopter blades. The blades would slow down, showing that the helicopter was out of fuel and they would be dead anyway. They decided while they were filming to make it a more upbeat ending. 
The first cut of the movie that premiered at Cannes is 139 minutes. Romero shaved 13 minutes from it so that it could play in the U.S. It's still got an actual... That shit is so dumb. I hate that they have to fucking do that. Like, fuck off. Let this dude make a movie the way he wants to. Unless unless it's something explicit where it's like, dude, that shit hurt my feelings. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. It's still got an X rating. They rejected it and put it out as unrated. It was banned in Australia until they cut another six minutes out a year later. It was also listed as a video nasty in Great Britain, but did well anyway. One other thing I wanted to mention about this because i was watching a documentary about this yesterday it seems like it was a really good time making this movie they would have all of these extras that would come into the mall and they would do them up as zombies all day while the mall was going and then when the mall closed they would film their scenes and then the people would often just go about their day in zombie makeup and then people would be like why are you dressed like that and then they would tell them and then more people would show up to be zombies so they got all these extras that they would pay a dollar to and like feed them was basically their payment and they fucking loved it and then when they'd have stuff where they'd eat people there were so many people are just like i'll eat that the producer was like it's so gross like it's all this like stuff that you should never ever eat and people were like doubling over trying to be the oh, one latex? to eat it so that they could Fuck be on it. camera latex covered on bone <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah Fuck exactly it. all right so what are the rules jeremiah oh man uh leave the fucking mall yeah take what you need yeah, take what you on. need and leave that's the only rule i'm giving today <laughs> or organize a way to help other people yeah, uh, help other people yeah true yeah but they don't do that no yeah. it's be selfish yeah <laughs> Hold up your bling to the camera, right? right? We have that scene where they like open the registers and they're like showing their cash to the camera, like kind of laughing. It looked like an episode of MTV Cribs, if I'm being honest. MTV Malls. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, MTV. (laughs) Is the title of the movie said in the movie? You were saying last time you could probably cut the words out. I don't think they say Don ever. There's not even a person named Don in this movie. Oh, that'd be so funny. (laughs) I would love to cut that together where it's like just some guy going like Don um dad <laughs> just like cut together That'd by the so way funny. we used to have this like long running joke one of my roommates had brought the movie Rescue Don back home and so I went to describe that's it that's the one with Christian Bale right yeah okay. I went to describe it to our other roommate who was at work and I was like no it's great there's this guy named Don and they gotta rescue him <laughs> <laughs> so that just became like this total joke that like his name was actually D-O-N Don <laughs> <laughs> uh, does it end at the right moment? I honestly think it should have ended right as the zombies break in. I think that would have been such a great cliffhanger for like another movie. But I don't think he I don't was like the happy like ending. That. I don't like the happy ending. To be honest, can I be honest? I do. Like I don't love it, but I th- I always fall on does it work thematically with your movie and we heard the other option for the ending i think this thematically works a little bit better because we see that they're going after commercialism they're taken and taken and taken but look at when they're flying off they've given up everything they're happier that brings a message across that Uh, like i want the hedonistic people to get punished though they do (laughs) they do man the only ones that survive are peter who's just more worried about surviving the situation if we're being honest He's not the one getting wrapped up in all that stuff most of the time. He does it at the department store at the beginning, but he doesn't go overboard with it. It's like Steven and it's uh, Roger that go way overboard with the commercialism, right? I don't feel like Peter totally does. And so he sees the light, but then Francine has been seeing the light the entire time. She doesn't buy into it. And so they're happier as a result. I just feel like it lands the message better with them flying off, giving up everything, but being hopeful, you know? That's how I look at it. I get it. It's also, you're not used to happy endings in zombie movies mm-hmm. unless it's like Shaun of the Dead or something. <laughs> right. You can still just get stoned and play with fucking video games with your friends. So good, dude. We should, fuck, we should just extend it three more movies. 28 <laughs> days later, Let's do like Shaun a 20... of the Dead. <laughs> I, I promise you guys we will do another zombie block. I know, right? There's too many good zombie movies to not come back to this. But we'll have done four by the time we finish. Like, it's right. pretty good, man. Does the story continue? Yeah, they went out of fucking fuel and die. <laughs> where, where are you going to go, dude? There's zombies everywhere. Right. They don't have much gas. Where are you going to fucking go? I don't know. It, it doesn't seem very hopeful to me, but. All right, who's the ACV MVP for you? 
I'm going to go the Harry Krishna zombie. There's a Harry Krishna zombie who has like a yes. tambourine that's like tied up and she's trying to grab Francine as Francine's climbing up, getting away from her. That's my MVP. I love some of the distinctive zombies in this movie, which I guess Romero just let people do whatever they wanted. They just put on makeup and a little Dude, bit. Dude, I'm going to go the mall. The mall? Yeah. The entire mall. Yeah, the entire All right, mall. Yeah, that's where the thing comes in. Sure. I guess that's where the place comes in, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. All right, reception. It made $66 million off of a $640,000 budget. 103 times its budget back. It premiered in the U.S. at the Texas Film Festival because it was selected by Roger Ebert. Hmm. Roger Ebert loved this movie. Shouts out. Yeah, he gave it four stars and said Dawn of the Dead is one of the best horror films ever made and as an inescapable result was one of the most horrifying. It is gruesome, sickening, disgusting, violent, brutal, and appalling. It is also, excuse me for a second while I find my other list, brilliantly crafted, funny, droll, and savagely merciless in its satirical view of the American consumer society. Nobody ever said art had to be in good taste. And then Pauline Kale said, you begin to laugh with relief when you're not being emotionally challenged or even affected. It's just a gross out. So she didn't see the message in this movie. She just thought it was like a shitty sequel, I think. <laughs> uh, influences, I really didn't come up with any that wouldn't have been available in Night of the Dead. I don't think they added anything else to the stew in no. terms of like adding other influences. So if you want to hear those influences, they're in last episode, but we don't need to go back over them. Uh, what it influenced, so we talked about from well, Gus. Well, there's we talked much, about from dusk till dawn, right? There's like, that's too much to one. even be like, like it influenced so much shit. That Shaun of the like, Dead, at least through title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like fucking almost every zombie movie. That's literally of the dead. Yeah. Well, not just of the dead. I mean, like fucking just every zombie movie, dude. Like name a zombie movie I've seen. I can tell you where Dawn of the Dead influenced it somewhat, whether they're yeah. aware of it or not. Uh, Legacy. So it was on Empire's 500 greatest movies. <laughs> list of all time and i'm just gonna say how many fucking rooms have you walked into with the poster for Don the original dawn of the dead right. it's all over the place with that dude. fucking face yeah and then the fucking yep the white face yeah. with the, that's kind of a zombie yeah. yeah so you just see the eyes it's almost like apocalypse now style yeah well it's around the same time right like apocalypse now is 79 this is 78 but i mean it literally looks like uh sheen's character like how he's like dipping his eyes oh no i know exactly like, what it's you're literally about. like it's, i'm just saying for some reason that i can was Fuck, I'm about to go buy Dawn of the Dead shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, let's just not bury the lead. Would you buy it on 4K? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I bet this one would be fairly good on 4K. Yeah. Uh, so other source material. So for George Romero, we've got Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. Do you want to say anything about any of those movies? Uh, no, because I want to wait till tomorrow or next next episode to really get into the legacy. Like I feel like that that last one. The last one's not going to be a Romero movie. I'm going to say that. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you want to talk about these, this is the appropriate time. Yeah. I, I got I got some stuff. Day of the Dead. So, essentially, the lesson of that movie is that the zombie becomes more civilized at the end. Like, the one that the scientist is working with because he starts killing with a gun instead of being savage or whatever. It's definitely, like, colonialism thing. Like, it starts to do it the white man's way. So, it's more civilized, which is fucking ridiculous when you realize it. Like, now you've just taught the zombies to shoot. That's not a good thing. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's the interesting thing about that one. I think they're all holed up in like a military base at that point. And they're, they're I, completely the, I thought fucked. they were held up in a, a mine, right? Or something like that. It's definitely underground. I don't remember if a mine plays a I part in it, but they're underground the whole time. They're in a military I base. I just remember seeing the beginning parts and then being underground and then working on a zombie. And then it's starting to be a little more function than the other. That zombie. Yeah. Cause he's like working with it and civilizing it right like that's right. the social commentary in that one uh land of the dead you have this skyscraper if i remember right and it's kind of protected by the poor people at the bottom they've got a river on one side that keeps the zombies out and then on the other side yeah, they straight they up add the class struggle with this one yes. which is kind of fucking dope to be yeah. honest and so that one is about like the people at the top don't have to worry about hardly anything. And the people at the bottom are the struggling ones who are and maintaining it. And then you got even the lower bottom, which is just straight up zombies. 
Yeah, but the zombies evolve as well, too. Like, they uh-huh. figure out, oh, we don't drown so they can get across the water, and then they're completely fucked. I remember so, when that one came out. Yeah, yeah, I do, too. I went to it in the theater. Yeah. That was the re- that was the only Romero zombie movie I saw in the theater, so. Oh, nice. Fuck, I was too young. I just remember when it came out. Yeah. And then they had a game. Yeah, I mean, that's also when I watched, in its entirety, Night of the Living and Dawn of the Dead was just, like, in preparation for Land of the Dead. Didn't see Day of the Dead until later. Didn't even know it existed. It's definitely his least popular. Um, I thought the last two were the four. least popular. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say because numbers are inflated, you know, but Day of the Dead was not particularly liked when it came out. I think it's gotten more of a cult following since it's been out. Uh, so Diary of the Dead, that's basically Romero redoing Night of the Living Dead, but doing it in a way they restart the zombie thing. So it's not technically connected to the other two, but they focus on more and how the Internet has affected behavior. So in a way where the first one was a criticism on the media, this is like a criticism on the internet in a sense it's all cam footage isn't it um a lot of it is not all of it like it's not found footage but i'd say per se but there's a lot of big swaths fuck you blair witch project for fucking making that a whole thing for 2008 till like 2015 (laughs) and then uh survival of the dead which was the sequel to that one that we just talked about. And that was, if I remember correctly, on island. And there's two families that are kind of warring with each other. And at the end, they just tear each other apart. Well, isn't know? that like, uh, what's that story where it's the two families fighting each other? Uh, Hatfield and McCoy. Yeah. Like that. They're real people. Like, they, they exist. Right. Yeah. Is that what that's kind of based off of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100% in this movie, it's based off the Hatfield and McCoy's. (laughs) (laughs) And that was his last of the dead movie. And then in Italy, so this is where it gets interesting. So Argento's cut of Dawn of the Dead was referred to as Zombie with an Eye, as we talked about. There was also a Zombie 2, 3, 4, and 5 made by other directors. Zombie 2, wildly influential movie as well. We won't be covering that one. Not right now. Eventually we will. Uh, Depending on where in the world you are, there are film series that are three to seven movies long, which are sequels to either Dawn of the Dead or Zombie 2 or Dawn of the Dead and Zombie 2. And they just keep renaming them all around the world. And some of them are sequels that are not sequels in other countries. And some of them they are. It's fucking crazy. Like I was going to write it out. And then I realized like when you look at zombie series, there's too fucking many, dude. There's too fucking many. There's like 10 different orders of this and it would just be boring at a certain point but like the zombie series is fucked but know that zombie 2 is a sequel to argento's cut of dawn of the dead which is and some of them considered the second one and night of the living dead is considered the first one or in some of them dawn of the dead is the first one called zombie and then zombie 2 and then in some of them they just cut both of those out and they do zombie too. It's mm-hmm. fucking insane, dude. It's absolutely insane. Then, of course, we got the Zack Snyder movie, which we already spent some real estate. We've got the Return of the Living Dead series. We will be talking about that next oh, yeah. week. So put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Did I sell this Blu-ray to settle medical debt? Yeah, but who cares, man? It's just like possessions. You know, <laughs> man. Oh, you did miss something. How did this movie remind Jeremiah of Night of the Living Dead? Oh, yeah. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty easy one, huh? <laughs> yeah. I got a feeling the next one's going to be easy for you, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, sign up for a free account with Anchor, and you can leave us a voice message by following the link in the description of the podcast that we may use in a future episode and answer our poll questions at the site. Listen to us through your Spotify account, and you can tell us what movie you'd like to hear in the future. A Cosmic Void was created and hosted by Alex Small and Jeremiah Perez. The theme song was written and produced by Tom Smith. Follow Jeremiah Perez on Instagram at Vex Till Death. Follow me, the show, and Redwood Sound Labs on Instagram at Redwood underscore sound underscore labs or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Redwood Sound Labs. You can read short reviews of every movie I watch on Letterboxd under Alex Big Small. And join us next week when we're talking about Return of the Living Dead.
a podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 